who are you and what are you doing? Yeah, um, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, real privilege to be on RegTech Impact. Um, my name is Charlie Dellingpole, um, and I am the founder of a company called Comply Advantage. Um, so arguably, it's a regulatory technology company. So we help companies with money laundering, terrorist financing, um, and other massive regulatory problems. And um, yeah, um, so I started the company six years ago. We're now 250 people. And we've raised now something like $90 million. So, um, yeah, it's kind of scaled reasonably well so far, but it's still just the beginning. Wow. But um, how to be, or, or can I say that in a better way? Um, I know you very well, and I know you are a serial entrepreneur. And, but how to be a super successful serial entrepreneur can you describe that i mean you just uh, told about yourself very how you can say in a british way not too much about what you reached um can you tell me more about why you are a super successful serial entrepreneur i can tell that i know what you have to do a lot of things yeah um i think um we should be more ambitious right i think if we compare ourselves to companies in the u.s like you know Google, Amazon, Facebook, the companies in Silicon Valley. Um, like, I think, like, I still have a long way to go, right? I think in terms of, like, size, scale, IPO, um, like, I think, okay so far, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I was, like, um, everywhere where I wanted to be, right? Um, I think I'm still kind of early on in the journey. That's a good question, answer. Because I asked my audience or the people... Um, who I should interview or who I should do a podcast with. And Charlie, your name dropped many times, by the way. That means for me, you are a super successful rec tech entrepreneur also. But um, can you tell me about your, what did you do? I mean, you started with 16, I can remember with um, student room, I think, or a room student. Can you tell me that? Yeah, exactly. So I guess when I was 16, um, I thought the internet and computers would be important um, and so part of that, I just got tons of books on programming and software and I taught myself how to build websites and code and I launched various things and they kind of did reasonably well. And so, um, the first one was a kind of student website. Um, it was kind of 10 separate websites that had like, um, a discussion area, different links, um, essays, um, school homeworks, just kind of everything that I did as a as a school child, I guess. Um, and that was going to be very, very popular. Um, and it's still going now. So it's still kind of doing, so has like a hundred staff, um, still kind of has like X million visitors a day. So yeah, it's, um, very popular. And I guess, um, it was a good learning experience in terms of having to build a team, having to hire people, having to do all the accounts and finance. So I, I guess as a kind of introduction to business, it was good to have that early on. Mm -hmm. That's great. But, What was your experience? You told me about hiring a team and this kind of experience, what you can use for a rec tech company, Comply Advanced, for example. What can you, you experience? Which are the most three um, defined experiences you can share with us? 
So, I mean, um, I guess after that, I did a, another company. So I started a fintech company called Market Finance. So we've raised, I think there, they raised like um, like 50 million or something or, um, and lent X billion dollars. Um, so that company was um, a working capital finance marketplace. So we took money off hedge funds, high net worth, um, family offices, and, and, and gave it out to lots of small companies. So um, quite nerve wracking in terms of if someone comes to you saying, hey, give me a million pounds. And then the next day you, 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 you never met them. Um, you buy the million pounds. So that was quite an interesting business. And I think um, that um, I started in um, 2009. So the height of the financial crisis, or at least the last financial crisis before this one. And um, the banks were all collapsing. Um, there wasn't really any competition to the big banks. So it was super early on in terms of fintech. So what we knew was so it's something like invoice finance and then um suddenly it became very very sexy and became fintech right so um i guess in the same way that when i started my advantage there wasn't a reg tech space it didn't exist um similarly there wasn't a fintech space back then and similarly my first company it was before facebook so i guess you had like friendster um but i guess one of our investors said charlie you could have won the olympics Instead, you won the school egg and spoon race. So, yeah, I think um, it's important to keep in context the size of the wealth creation and companies created in the past few years. In terms of like now, twenty percent of the S and P is um, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Like, like Apple's now a two trillion dollar company. So, I think um, in Europe, we need to keep in mind the level of the level of ambition we require to build real companies. I mean, uh, to sum it up, um, the ambitions is very important. I think, yeah, I, I think those people who are going to think oh, are, are, are just going to build a small niche and um, leave it at that. I think often if you aim for the stars, you might only reach the moon, right? In terms of, um, building company is so challenging that you need to have a big market. You need to have a powerful model. Um, otherwise you're not able to reach anywhere. And I think that kind of escape velocity as in you need to be able to escape some of the competition or some of the kind of constraints of being small. Um, there could be large incumbents who would try and replicate what you're doing or who have greater distribution than you and therefore could kind of squat you early on. So I think, I think scale is very important. And the last thing you want to do is spend your life running a tiny company that is it, it, just you. And effectively, you're kind of subsidizing someone else by um, working on a one-to-one -one basis. So, so, I, so I think... Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what I can say, um, really interesting, I can sum it up if maybe true, it's hard working. To, build an, to be an entrepreneur, it's really hard. Somebody told me it's like uh, eating glasses. Can you say that's true? Yeah, I think um, there's the expression, it's like um, jumping off a cliff and trying to assemble a plane as you're falling in the sky. Um, or, yeah, um, I think the Elon Musk quote is around um, um, eating glass or if you're going through hell, keep on going, right? So I think I think there are always kind of maxims and axioms and um, jokes around how hard it is. I think I think also fundamentally you have to enjoy it, right? I think temperamentally and psychologically you have to be 
suited towards like some form of masochism in terms of I think the volatility and the fear and um, greed and ambition, like the, 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 the emotions that will roll over you um, as things go bad or things go well. Um, but ultimately it's, it's you and your company that captures all the downside and all the upside. So I think it's quite an emancipatory form of way of living. Absolutely, absolutely. That means because uh, it's a very negative way of being an entrepreneur and I try to get a more positive way. And I think um, you do what you like and that is not like being work anymore. It's like your passion. And I think that it's something uh, interesting code. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think um, the reason why people who are mission-driven um, rather than, say, financially driven succeed is because... Um, you need to have a kind of overwhelming passion which can which can attract a team, um, can convince clients who might not think you're particularly sustainable to stay with you, um, and then also convince suppliers, investors. So you, you have to build a nexus around a company which doesn't previously exist out of thin air. So um, I think only if you're really convinced of the value that you're bringing to the world, I think if you want to make money, then there's obviously way easier ways to make money as in you can go and get a job or, um, you know, like the ROI is a lot faster. I think in the, in the previous two, the previous three companies I've started, it's always been that I work for free for the first like three, four years, or I, I'm going to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars and risk it myself. Right. So, um, at least for me, I've always had to wait a long time for any kind of return. And also you have to labor in obscurity, right? As in, you have to go back. At least I, I did from leaving JP Morgan. I, I left a kind of very well-paying job, a, a kind of very respectable job. Um, um, and then I had to go and work in a very small, decrepit, cheap office and, and, and not take a salary. Um, and, and then similarly, uh, um, Mark and I left, um, had to go and start again. And um, again, you, know, you start with like five people rather than anything. So um, I think you have to be prepared to labor in obscurity for a long time and you have to be able to defer gratification and you have to be completely convinced and be correct. Otherwise, you waste five years of your life or, or in your prime. So I think, but then I think in terms of entrepreneurship is also the kind of ultimate form of criticism um, or, or at least construct or at least ability to constructively critique the world in terms of um, if you think something's wrong or something annoys you about how bad something's done, then go and change it, go and build something better. Um, and with comply advantage, I think um, I saw a really important area in terms of terrorist financing, money laundering done really, really badly. And it was obvious and annoying to me that, there was a much better way. Um, unfortunately, it was very capital intensive in terms of it would require $100 million to build. But in the end, there was a better way for society to deal with money laundering and terrorist financing. And that's what we built. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Charlie. But um, what were your first contacts with direct tech industry? What were your first contacts with direct tech industry? Um, so... When I was at Market Finance, I had to oversee the money laundering function. So we were wiring millions of dollars a day around different bank accounts um, to different countries. And I heard about this thing called money laundering. And I was like, okay, um, 
if something goes wrong, then you'll go to jail. And I was like, what? Um, and so you, you're trying to grow a company. You're trying to um, deal with the burn. You're trying to um, raise money, trying to close deals. And at the same time, you're like, if something goes wrong here, then you, you, you'll personally um, be fined and personally put in jail. And so um, it was the bit that I really hated the most. Um, the systems were already terrible. The, the processes were already terrible. And so um, my first contact with the reg tech industry was as the consumer of reg tech at my second company, Market Finance. Cool. I mean, um, may I can say that um, you have got a really well company and you changed to a difficult area It's called ragtag industry, and you can say ragtag is difficult. Or what do you think about ragtag? Um, the so, beginning. I mean, um, the reason why I chose the problem was because deliberately it was it was hard, as in it just seemed like a very challenging problem that no one had faced, and therefore it was worth solving. Um, if everyone had solved it, then I wouldn't have bothered because there wouldn't be any any kind of need. Um, so that that was the rationale in terms of the the broader industry. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's in many respects a kind of misnomer as in it doesn't really make sense because the agglomeration of different business models and applications, um, they, although they're called reg tech, often they have nothing in common as in they're so disparate and they solve so many different problems, um, that they aren't in competition and actually there are different needs and use cases. So um, it's an all encompassing term that addresses and confronts a range of different underlying problems. But I think um, they have similar economic properties in that they have to buy them. Um, it isn't core to the business and therefore it should be often outsourced to a third party provider. I think it doesn't make sense often to build it yourself. So Hence, I think it's an interesting um, and obviously growing industry. I think particularly in the EU, given the harmonization across all different states means that there is a need to do things at scale and therefore um, you can really invest in building something great to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. um, somebody told me in the reg tech industry, you have always two customers. One is your main customer and the second customer is the regulatory Uh, here in Germany, the BaFin. Is that true? That you need, um, that's the reason why RegTech is so, uh, how you can say, uh, expensive as an investor, because you have two customers, the regulatory side, the government side, and the customer side. Exactly. I think if you contrast it with something like marketing technology, then nobody cares what you're using. You, you won't get asked what, what you're using. Um, you, you won't go to jail if you're using Marketo rather than different software stack. Whereas here, it's um, the, the level of circumspection and um, scrutiny that you go through in order to understand precisely what you're using and how it functions is, is life or death. Um, and therefore, in, in a very tangible way, um, the, the kind of guts of the back office system get constantly inspected. So um, you're right to point to a really unique mechanism and dynamic within companies that are regulated. Um, but I think that's a, for a reason. Um, I think recently you saw with Wirecard, um, 
so some of our customers were using Wirecard um, and the impact was that people couldn't pay their bills. Um, people who were in hospital um, had their last paycheck of the month docked. Um, investors lost billions of dollars. So I think I think it always comes down to a real tangible loss for society if those companies that are regulated don't do their job. So um, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's not an anomaly. It's for a very good reason. And if we just think about the regulatory side, and I have to decide which market I should go in, um, I think uh, London is maybe an interesting place because they are doing the sandbox, the re regulatory sandbox. Uh, which other countries do you think could be interesting for building regtax? Because we think about the challenge about we have got two customers, one regulators and one your normal customers. And if we think about that, which countries would be the best or which marketplaces are interesting for regtech entrepreneurs? So speaking from personal experience, we have an office in Singapore and in New York. And so I think those are the most interesting markets to me, at least. Um, Singapore, you have the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which is a combined um, central bank and regulator. So they have lots of money, which is good. Um, but also they have the ability to wield significant influence. So, um, and then New York, um, I think US is obviously a big market financially, but also um, regulatory um, dynamics are very interesting in terms of they're very, very complex. So um, in New York, you have New York State, you have the NYFDS, you have FinCEN, you have the OCC. I think that the federal structure, much more so than Germany, um, means that there's this patchwork of overlapping regulators. So recently they came out with a statement um, on political exposure and it came out from like six different regulators. So um, it's bad enough having one regulator. Imagine having six. So um, yeah, I think partly what's fascinating about RegTech is that you have this patchwork of different regulators globally. Um, I think within money laundering, it's nice that you have the FATF, um, the Financial Action Task Force, who coordinate it globally. And so there is some harmonization. So um, a global solution requires a, um, sorry, a global problem requires a global solution. Interesting aspect. I mean, we talk about uh, New York, we talk about Singapore, but you and I lived in Europe. What should be changed in Europe regulatory scene, or what do you what if you have the chance to change something in the regulatory area, which topic would you change? Um, I think with the guards, I mean the 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 the, the one thing that I probably say is um, Europe's done great work on money laundering. Um, I think um, I think the, the the thresholds in terms of political exposure has been um, so. With the fifth money laundering directive, you had um, regulations around cryptocurrency. You had regulations around prepaid cards. So the Bataclan attacks in Paris, where they murdered 20 people, from, um, that that was financed by prepaid cards. And then um, after the Mossack Fonseca um, scandal, whereby all the shell companies um, were, were financed from the the, the Caribbean. Um, you had regulation around UBOs. Um, you also had 
much higher in, in the sixth one of the law directive you had regulations around um predicate offenses so a much more clear understanding of which offenses were linked to money laundering um i guess technology and regulation are where they are because of each other so with more technology you can do more things um i'd say what i'd like to see is um particularly on adverse media so in terms of the way companies can screen their clients so um if you look at Jeffrey Epstein, it was well known that Jeffrey Epstein was linked to um, prostitution and human trafficking, but Deutsche Bank still financed him, right? So I think um, the EU should stipulate um, that companies screen their clients for adverse media much more effectively. Um, and that's because technology has advanced. So we at Command Advantage used natural language processing within machine learning to do that. And we think that that's really effective. We can do it in Dutch, we can do it in Italian, we can do all kinds of languages. So I think um, that should be extended. And also information sharing. Um, sorry. Um, sorry, on the information sharing front, I think um, um, terrorists and mind wanderers can arbitrage between different companies. And I think if they were allowed to share information um, as in companies, and that would allow much more um, protection against those risks. Absolutely. But we talk about RegTech every time, but I thought about when did you first hear the word RegTech? I mean, RegTech, did you hear the first I think probably so everything became suffix tech so um, fintech I think like you know what 2010 probably it became fintech as in um, I guess everything there's prop tech there's insure tech there's um, sub tech like everything has a tech suffix so um, reg tech was a really obvious one and therefore I think I think probably 2014, um, as in, I started this company early 2014, probably late 2014. Um, I think companies have now latched onto that very heavily because it implies much higher valuation multiples and it, you know, there are all kinds of ramifications in terms of the model you're operating. So yeah, um, I'd say 2014. And um, may I ask you, how do you define RegTech? I mean, can we define RegTech? Does possible make the sense? Um, yeah. I, in terms of the nomenclature and system of naming, um, I'd say um, anything to do with regulation and technology um, or, or kind of technology driving regulation. So um, what isn't RegTech is humans manually process paper as in the, 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 the kind of old way it was done um i think prior to reg tech the way it was called was the governance risk and compliance framework so you would have like market overviews and you know, investment bankers would produce grc market maps right so um it exists before reg tech um it just it, just, it was given a different name so um there's always been software companies doing things in this space but um to more closely brand themselves in alignment with google facebook amazon um 
the kind of tech suffix um, was propagated. Um, do you know the RegTech impact definition? I can tell you the RegTech impact definition. RegTech describes the use of modern computer-based digital technology to automate, simplify, and improve regulatory, governance, fraud, compliance, anti-corruption, ethical, and risk tasks. Yeah, I think it's very thorough. Yes, I think the same. I think that is the best way. But because uh, the next question, what I always think about, or uh, if we talk about RegTech, everybody thinks this is as, um, or the question is why RegTech is not a subset of FinTech? Or is this a subset of FinTech? What is your opinion? I'd say if you're going to draw a Venn diagram, then there is obviously significant overlap. Um, but then I'd say that regulation, so, so, so because money is so um, dangerous and powerful, um, it's highly regulated. So um, often um, it is linked to um, fintech, but I think regulation extends to every industry and every geography. So arguably it's much broader and bigger than just fintech. So you can point to, you know, we deal with high-risk corporates, right? Or, um, and I think there, if you look at kind of environmental, social, and governmental risk indicators, um, every one of those in terms of um, the way in which you deal with the environment, the way in which you deal with um, social protocols, like they all involve regulation, but none of them involve finance, right? Like, um bp and um if their if their rig explodes in the caribbean then um that isn't to do with finance right that's just business and therefore um reg tech can solve those problems by say more accurately measuring the, the wells and the rigs so um um the Venn diagram obviously includes a lot of fintech, but also it's far broader than that. So that's why regtech isn't a subset of fintech. Cool. But um, for example, if you talk about regtech, which industries do you think uh, are the next step? For example, uh, healthcare, it is interesting for regtechs because it's very regulated. Um, which kind of industries do you think are very interesting for regtechs? Um, there are already some massive businesses um, outside of fintech that are kind of regulatory driven. Um, so um, look at Bureau Veritas or um, the kind of testing industry. There you have to ensure that um, the different mechanisms of um, testing metals or um, um, or, or, or or drugs or, or pharmaceuticals are approved, right? Um, the whole pharmaceuticals involves ensuring that regulators can approve drugs um, that different um, medical equipment manufacturers um, ascertain different different levels of production. Um, I think um, if you go through property industry in terms of the um, prior standards or properties not collapsing. You know, it, it, it's kind of every like, like every dimension of human life um, 
involves some form of regulation in terms of, um, I guess, there's legal tech, um, which is more around document automation and management. Um, but I, I think there's this interesting intellectual juncture between legal tech and reg tech in terms of the enforcement, management, um, and stipulation of different laws and ensuring the best outcome for society leads to that. Interesting. And now we put legal tech into the um, conversation. And uh, if we can, um, how we can say, define or uh, find, we, we defined reg tech. On the other hand, we talk about legal tech. It's just similar or should we separate that? What is your opinion about this? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think um, in terms of like, if you're a venture capitalist, then um, you, or, or if you're an entrepreneur, right, then you want to understand who you're selling to. And if you're in reg tech, you're probably selling to, I mean, we're selling to the money laundering reporting office in the UK, the BSA also in the US. Um, there's a person in the company who you're selling to. Um, if you're legal tech, you're selling to in-house legal firms, you're selling to law firms, right? So um, there's a useful intellectual distinction there in terms of like who's actually going to buy it. So um, I think in large different people, we don't really sell to lawyers per se. I mean, perhaps we do, but like um, I think fundamentally um, legal tech is about document automation, um, life cycle management of um, drafting, accelerating sales contracts. So um, again, like overlapping overlapping Venn diagrams, but very different dynamics and personas. Oh, thank you. Uh, we talk about the pharmacy industry. And just imagine you have the opportunity to talk with the CEO of a huge pharmacy. AstraZeneca. Yeah? Yeah. AstraZeneca or like Pfizer. Or yes, or Novartis or FISA. We have many pharmacy, by the way, but you, you can talk with a CEO. And he gives you the opportunity to tell him what is RegTech and which field you should do something. What would you do? I mean, you have one opportunity to talk with the CEO of a pharma industry. Um, so speaking selfishly, I'd probably say, listen, um, you have thousands of suppliers all over the world. How do you know which ones of those are linked to like um, North Korean drug companies or li linked to um, different supply chain issues in West Africa whereby you're, 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 you're taking like blood diamonds or you're involved in deforestation. I, I think um, a huge issue for drug companies is the ESG and supply chain management. So that's probably the conversation I'd have with them. Very interesting. But the CEO, the CEO is very interesting. And he wants to do and ask you, how do you do that? I mean, it's difficult to get that answer. I mean, it's a really interesting business case, use case, what you told yeah. us, how you can do that. Oh, because it's it's impossible, almost. Um, it does um, what's the most effective way to look at supply chain and kind of um, different businesses in terms of the risks? Yes. I mean, how we can... Uh, Just get, think about supplier checking. I mean, uh, pharma industry have a lot of suppliers, sub-suppliers, and you have to check that. And how would you do that? And more, how you can say, in a digital way, because we know there's a lot of risks and we need risk assessments. But 
can check that. I mean, it's difficult that. So that I mean, that's the question. CEO would, might be asked you. So, so what, what, what we do is um, we we build a database of every company in the world, and we look at the kind of shareholders, directors, and then we build a risk of everyone that's high risk um, in terms of um, linked to human trafficking, money laundering, um, but also um, any terrorist activity. We built so we built a kind of taxonomy of twenty different types of crimes, but also we have the data from the companies. Um, so we can build a kind of graph of saying, okay, th this person is a shareholder in this company. This person is linked to a terrorist group or is on a board with a person who's a human trafficker. Um, you also ha have to deal with a key problem, which is the ultimate, ultimate beneficial owner. So the kind of, um, it could be that the parent company is a shell company in the Bahamas and you don't know um, who actually owns them or controls them. So um it's basically about finding the underlying truth of the supply dynamic and trying to um, expand details of the shell companies, see who actually owns them, who actually controls them, and are they bad. So, um, but then also um, adverse media mentions of um, is this company involved in burning forests in Malaysia? Is this person involved in? Um, dumping chemicals in rivers, um, all the things that will be front page news, um, we have to hunt down and attack. Otherwise, people will be able to run rampant and destroy society and the environment. Mm, that's really cool. But I think um, very interesting. As a CEO, I would say, Charlie, we should talk about <laughs> to the next step. Yeah. Uh, um, question also might be, Uh, what do you think established companies do in this area? Or what do you think established companies do better than RegTax? I mean, I think, so, I mean, at least for us in our, in our space, I'd say um, they do better on branding, as in people know them already and they trust them. Um, so we had some work done just looking at perceptions of us versus our investors and in the product, like we're kind of light years ahead, right? Like the technology is better, clients like it more, but the issue is just trust as in we didn't exist six years ago. And therefore it's like, listen, I've never heard of you. So, um, and that's partly why we raised $50 million um, in, in, in July is, it's just brand. Right. So um, I think incumbency has its advantages in terms of, um, the fact that you exist means that you're you, you must be great. But actually, um, at least in our industry, um, and the reason why I started the company was because it was terrible, and there were too many false positives, too many false negatives. And I can think of a way to solve that. So, um, yeah, I think I think the, the kind of trusted brand thing is is very hard to overcome. What can you learn from Rectex? I think it's very interesting topic and what what we uh, what can the established companies learn from regtex companies for example or the customers i mean it's very interesting what you told um i think i think at least for us um with our competitors what we see is that um or at least when we talk to people who work there it's kind of um, they can complain about like how impossible it is to get anything done and how slowly the companies move. So, and I think you know, we now have 250 people. So I think the key thing is 
speed of decision making. I think you look at Amazon, they still manage to move very, very quickly, even though they have how many hundred thousands of, of staff. So um, I think the real challenge is organizational design and decision making and keeping management flat and like, like, you know, be careful that um, when you fight with monsters, you don't become a monster yourself, right? Like, I think you don't want to end up becoming the very thing you sought out to destroy because the same organizational dynamics overwhelm you. I think people who start startups are kind of very good at getting something off the ground, but then um, managing a big company is also very challenging, right? So I think, um, yeah, I think it's a whole new skill set. And if you wake up and you've got teams all across the world, how do you impose discipline? And is it possible to have a simple model that can scale rather than being like much more lethargic as you grow bigger? Mm. Um, if we think about the topic Rex Tech Industries and we are going to the future, what do you think Rex Techs do better in five years or are Rex Techs worse than in five years? I think from my vantage point, the, what, we tr what, what we're doing was in terms of like building a database of high-risk entities um, was done manually. Or they, they do it with people. So they, the people manually um, extract information and, and try and build profiles. Um, what I saw was that the pace of innovation in machine learning, cloud technology, the, re the reduction in costs in storage and speed of processing power um, meant that suddenly it was possible to do that automatically. I think as labor costs increase and as um, the speed of processing a computer increases, then um, you'll see a wave of automation. So things which are done um, manually will get automated. Um, the, the complexity and sophistication of algorithms will improve. Um, and also SaaS business is just like so huge and so profitable. Um, as in the markets for software suddenly much more global and much bigger than anyone thought they were. So therefore, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's this Anderson Horowitz software eating the world principle, and that's turned out to be true. Um, as in like tech is everywhere now and that will only become more and more true as everything improves. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, what do you think can technology help on, on the battlefield of compliance? I mean, You're talking about ragtag, and what do you think? Can technology help on the battlefield uh, battlefield of compliance, for example? So, um, I guess if I talk about the machine learning dimensions of things, mm -hmm. um, I'll just refer to three different areas where it can help. So, um, I guess within fraud, um, fraud's really easy because you have true positives as in if i steal your money then you know it's very obvious that the money's been stolen and you can say okay and, and then if you get if you get like out of 10 million transactions you get 10 thefts you can say okay i have 10 true positives and they're all from they're all from nigeria and they're all done at midnight and um and therefore you can just block those transactions right so um that's called feature extraction so where you have true positives and fraud it's very easy to do feature extraction and therefore block um, the different 
um, areas. Um, if you look at, say, division, um, you, you can look at passports and you can extract um, the different licenses and you can say, okay, this one's fraudulent because this this hologram isn't functional, right? So, um, and then finally with natural language processing, you can extract text, you can decompose it into different parameters and you can say, okay, um, this is a verb now and then you can apply rules. So you can say, um, messy terrorized the defense is, is, is fine, but messy as a terrorist is not fine. So um, I think tons of practical ways you can do stuff. That means technology helps on the battlefield of compliance. You would say yes. Um, technology, absolutely, yeah. I think technology is the, the only way. It's kind of like a, um, a no-brainer, right? But what is your view on the fast-changing technology landscape into this world? I mean, I can remember my old Amiga Plus, for example, and nowadays it's, it's changed dramatically. Yeah. And what is your view on the fast-changing technology landscape in today's world? I think it's great. I think, like, um, you know, uh, um, back when we were allowed to travel, I did the Singularity University course, so we all went to this um, airfield in San Francisco, um, the Moffat Airfield, and you have, like, two weeks of courses with, like, Ray Kurzweil and... Um, lots of futurists and i think yeah i think this um that's why it's just so fascinating is because um i think particularly around energy now i think what you've seen is the cost of batteries and solar power and wind power decrease so much that suddenly you can create green hydrogen and therefore climate change should be a solved issue right i think um i think yeah you, you're going to see so many huge shifts that benefit society and the economy that I think um, the, the, the fun thing about technology is that it's often hard and it's hard to know which technology will win out. And therefore, um, particularly within investing, it's it's partly an art form, partly um, a science to kind of understand which companies will do well, which people do, will do well. Um, but yeah, I think it's fascinating and very addictive. Perfect. But I think this is also something I think established companies struggle a little bit with the fast-growing technology. That's true? Is that you what you get? Or is that the reason why companies should work with Rectex? Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of big banks and big companies really struggle. And that's because they have very old systems or they have crappy decision-making frameworks driven by committee And it takes years to get anything done. Um, they might have they might have a, a kind of system from the 70s um, processing something. They might have bought 50 companies to gain scale, and therefore they're all different platforms. So I think I think with those kind of companies, um, often it's just easier to destroy the company and start again with a startup um, rather than expect them to catch up, right? So I think I think technology is like an existential threat to them because. Um, their core platform is rotten. They haven't invested um, and they can't migrate. They can't change. They can't improve. So um, whereas if you have a kind of evolvable core that can, that can, that can shift and improve and iteratively become better then the 1% daily compounding will be 
of great consequence at the end of the year. Yeah, perfect. I mean, we just came to almost to the end, but two questions more, um, or three. What would you do if you were not working in the rec tech industry? I'd start another company. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, but which area do you, do you want to tell us? Or? Uh, I would, okay. Um, I, I think the interesting area right now is like batteries and solar power and wind power and hydrogen. I think like you, you saw this, this Nikola company, right? Like, you know, there's a company with like nothing and suddenly they're worth a hundred billion. Right. And that's because, um, you know, I think Tesla is now worth more than BP, Shell, Exxon combined. Right. I think, um, yeah, I think, um, if you want to save the world, And if you want to have a real impact, then there's all kinds of, and that technology is changing very quickly. And I think things are possible now with, with battery prices where they are and with energy prices being generated so cheaply, then like, you know, electric boats, electric planes, um, replacing the entire fossil fuel infrastructure with hydrogen is going to be quite cool. But If I ask you, which company would you like to work for one day? I mean, you have the chance to work one day for a company. Which company would be that? Uh, I think um, probably something like, you know, OpenAI or DeepMind. Or, yeah, I, I think um, AI is also very interesting, right? So I think um, any company doing something cool there. I mean, I, I think can buy advantage, I think, you know, we're also trying to be the best at AI as well. So um, if I couldn't work at Goodbye Vantage for some reason, um, then I try and do something else within AI. I think we talk about companies and in personal question, who would you like to have a cocktail with? I mean, which person do you want to meet? Uh, um, I think, I think, um, People who like think a lot, I guess. Um, I think like I know Napoleon or von Moltke or like you know, someone who's like obviously has some strong ideas about the way. Yeah, like I think in terms of the books you can read, I think the best ones are biographies because often they'll like take you through that person's intellectual history and what the, the ideas they believe and um, I guess like any any interesting historical figure, right? 